Good morning, church. Are you ready to study God's word today? Amen. That's why we're here. And so as we move forward together, this is the last Sunday of my very first series as the pastor here. And so today, I know it's sad, it's the very last Sunday of this series, but today we're going to continue what we looked at last week. Last week, we said that Jesus is the foundation for our unity. And so today we're going to press in on that question about Jesus being the center of everything we do and who we are. Now you'll notice something different today as well, that we don't have any TV screens or video stuff because today it is going to be just you and your Bible. Now, every once in a while, I love teaching with screens, and we can read things together, and we can, you know, we can look at pictures, and, and I can show you graphs and maps and all kinds of great stuff. It's a great teaching aid. But I want to give you a heads up that every once in a while, we will have Sundays like this, where we are just going to take one passage of Scripture and hunker down really deep in it and study it, and it'll be really helpful for you to have it so that you can see what it is we are talking about. So if you did not bring a Bible today, right now grab your phone, and if you don't have a Bible app in your browser, if you just open up the internet, you can type in John chapter 6. We're in John chapter 6 today, and uh, Bible Gateway will be one of the options that comes up on Google. You can click on that. We're reading from the NIV translation, John chapter 6. So while you are finding that, this week I was thinking about when our son was seven years old. Now, he today is a 17-year-old, big strapping young man with a very deep voice. But when he was seven years old, he still had a deep... No, he didn't. I'm sorry, he didn't. But, but when he was seven years old, uh, one of the things that was, was so true of Seth, no matter where he went, is he always carried a pad of paper and a pencil. Everywhere he went, because he was always thinking of creative ideas and drawing pictures. And so one time, we were at an event with a, a number of other people, and adults were standing and talking. And Seth was over being nice and quiet in the corner of the room with his sketch pad drawing pictures of superheroes. And one of the men in the group saw what Seth was doing, and he walked over to see, and, and, and he said, Seth, look at that picture. You are quite the artist. That has to be one of the best pictures that you have ever drawn. And Seth said, oh, no, no, this one's not very good. I'm just messing around. It's not very good. And the man said, oh, no, Seth, you are just being modest. You're just being modest. That picture is wonderful. And so not long thereafter, Seth got up and he walked over and he asked his mother, he asked Tracy, Mom, what does the word modest mean? And she said, well, Seth, modest means that, you know, that you're humble, that modest means that you know, a person doesn't make a big deal about themselves, that, that you don't show off. And so a few minutes later, he walked over and he said to his sister, hey, Kate, have you heard? I'm modest. <laughs> and so in that moment, he kind of missed the point, right? And many times we can miss the point about Jesus. That sometimes we think of Jesus as, as this calm and quiet social activist who just helped everybody and made everyone happy all the time. 
And then some people are shocked when they open up their Bibles and they read for themselves and find that sometimes Jesus said and did things that people did not like. In Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist wanted to know if Jesus was in fact the Christ, which means the Messiah. And Jesus said, here's the proof that I am the Messiah. That the, the lame walk, the blind can see, and many who are not offended by me will be blessed. In other words, many people were offended by him. One time Jesus went to his hometown, Nazareth, and the people didn't like the things that he was saying and the things that he was doing. And so basically Jesus said, you know what, who cares what you think, and went on to the next town. There was a time when Jesus gathered together his disciples, and, and this was part of his recruitment speech. Jesus said that when you follow me, you will be hated by many nations, and many will be offended because of my name. That was his recruitment speech. Now, don't get me wrong. Yes, Jesus was loving and fun and compassionate. People wanted to be around him. He was gentle. He was meek. Children would come and sit on his lap, and he would bless them. People flocked to be near Jesus. Jesus radiated love, and people were drawn to that. But sometimes Jesus said and did things that people did not like. And that's what we are going to see today, that here in John chapter 6, we are going to find a story where in one day, Jesus managed to drive away thousands of his followers. Now, that takes talent. Uh, I, I, I've been to many church growth seminars and pastoral leadership seminars, and all of them, it's a huge industry, all of them are trying to teach pastors how to draw people to church. Never once have I heard one advertise, come and we'll teach you know how to send people away. They never once have I ever heard anyone say, come be like Jesus and, and we will help you empty all the seats in your church. <laughs> if you, if you want to be like Jesus, you can just send everybody away. And yet that is what we find here in John chapter 6. And so hopefully you have found that. Remember, this is going to make a whole lot more sense and it'll be a lot easier for you to follow along if you open up your Bible because today we are going to look at an entire chapter of the Bible, which is something that those who teach how to communicate and teach the Word of God and preach and do sermons and all that stuff say never do what we're about to do today, okay? So just so you know, don't, don't ever try to teach an entire chapter like we're going to do today, okay? And so in John chapter 6, at this point, Jesus is speaking to thousands of people, men and women. This is at the pinnacle of his popularity. Jesus is becoming a legitimate celebrity at this point. But in John chapter 6, look down at verse 60. Whatever Jesus said on this day was so disturbing that verse 60 says, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And then in verse 60, whatever Jesus said was so disturbing, who can accept it? Verse 61, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? And whatever he said apparently did offend them because verse 66 says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Does this not 
arouse your curiosity? <laughs> Don't you want to know what's going on in this chapter? What could Jesus have possibly said that turned so many people off and offended so many people at the same time? And so let's go back to the beginning of the story. Go back to the beginning of the chapter. You'll see that this is a chapter where Jesus has done a great miracle. And if you look down, go ahead right now in the first few verses of chapter 6, scan down and you will see that what has been happening here is that Jesus is out teaching in the countryside. And so people have come from miles around, from kilometers around, from uh, uh, meters and measures and all kinds of places around. They've come and here they have come to see Jesus, to listen to his teaching. And it says that that day that there were 5,000 men, which doesn't tell us about women and children. So with women and children, it could have been 10,000 or even 20,000 who were there on that day. But then at the end of the day, they've been listening to Jesus teach all day long. You think church is long today. Jesus taught all day long. And at the end, they're very, very hungry. And so they look around, and there was no Tim Hortons to be found. There was no superstore nearby. And so Jesus has them go and look, and they find one little boy who is willing to donate his lunch. Five little biscuits of bread and two fish. And so Jesus takes it and, and blesses it and begins to break the bread and the fish and distributes it and they give and they give and they give until it is all gone, or to, not it's all gone, until everybody has had as much food as they possibly want, all that they can eat, and they're still left over. And people are absolutely amazed. They've, they've heard the stories from their childhood about how generations before the Israelites, their forefathers, had been fed by manna that fell from heaven. But those were just stories that they had heard. They, they had seen Jesus do miracles for individuals, but for, for them to personally, with their own eyeballs, see Jesus do something like this on such a large scale, a miracle like this just blew their minds. And so look at John 6, verse 14. Verse 14. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now here's what's going on. These Jews are basically slaves to the Roman Empire. They have been for generations. And so they're tired of it. They want to have a level of freedom to do what they want to do and live how they want to live. They don't want to be under the domination of this foreign power. And so all of a sudden they begin to think, you know, we have been looking for a leader. We've been praying for someone who God will send, who can, who can be a conquering king, who can lead a, revolu a revolution to, to, to overthrow the Roman Empire. And they think, maybe Jesus is the guy. Maybe Jesus can be our new king. And so picking up in verse 15, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And so these people are just coming to a logical conclusion. They think if, if Jesus can do this with five or 10,000 people or 20,000 people, imagine what he could do against the Roman Empire. And so before they could organize their Jesus for King campaign, 
Jesus slips away from the crowd. And when they look around and they see that Jesus is nowhere to be found, they decide, well, let's just go home. We'll get a good night's sleep. Tomorrow morning, we will come back. Maybe Jesus will do some more miracles. That'll be cool. Maybe Jesus will give us more miracle bread to fill our stomachs. That would be awesome. And then maybe if we are really lucky, at the end of the day, we can have a coronation ceremony to make Jesus the conquering king to lead the revolution against the Roman Empire. And so that's what they did. They went home. They got a good night's sleep. They come back the next morning and are disappointed to find that Jesus and his disciples are gone. Jesus and the disciples in the night in a boat went over to the other side of the lake. And so this big group of people, they chase around to the other side of the lake to go and find Jesus. Look at verse 25. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? In other words, we're so excited to see you, Jesus. But apparently Jesus was not so excited to see them. In fact, Jesus starts to get a little grumpy. <laughs> Instead of saying, hey folks, thanks for making the trip. Instead, Jesus says in verse 26, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus said, look, let's be honest about why you're following me. Jesus said, you're not here for spiritual reasons. You are here because you want more stuff, because of what I can do for you. And he continues in verse 27. Verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Jesus says the problem is the focus of your lives is pursuing food that spoils, in other words, temporary things, rather than the food that endures to eternal life, eternal things. And that really sums up our culture today, does it not? That 90% of our time and energy is invested in pursuing things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Temporary pleasures. Look at what we spend our time on, what we spend our money on, what we focus our lives on. Temporary things rather than pursuing the things that will lead to eternal life. And so the people respond in verse 28. They asked him, okay, well, what must we do? to do the works God requires. Verse 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe. Everybody say, to believe. believe. To believe in the one he has sent. And somebody from the crowd shouts out in the next few verses, shouts out, Jesus, we really want to believe. I mean, that would be really cool. We want to believe in you, but, but how about you do some more miracles to prove yourself? And in verse 31, they suggest a particular type of miracle. Verse 31, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. In other words, Jesus, they didn't even have to work for their food. <laughs> the Father God just gave it to them. How about you do that for us? Make our lives easier. Make our lives better. Do for us the kind of stuff that we want. But Jesus refused to play that game. And Jesus says, so you want bread from heaven, do you? Look at verse 33. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
And then Jesus makes this huge claim. Don't miss it. Verse 35. Verse 35, and Jesus declares, I am that bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Now remember, just yesterday, they're like, yay, Jesus, Jesus is awesome. Let's make Jesus our king. But now the temperature and the tension is beginning to rise. Look at verse 41. Verse 41, at this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how can he now say, I came down from heaven? Now, let's stop and, and, and talk for a minute and go back and look at the, 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 what we have covered so far that you see three things begin to stand out. Ils sont frustrés par trois choses. There are three things here that frustrate them. Number one, that Jesus would not fix their political system. See, like today, many people believe that a fix in politics could be the fix to their problems. Come on now. They wanted a Donald, a Donald Trump to make Israel great again. <laughs> they wanted a Justin Trudeau to give them all the things that they had hoped for. Or somebody who would come in and, listen, but Jesus frustrated them because he was not interested in earthly power. Jesus was not interested in the conservative party or the liberal party. See, they thought the answer was a political issue, and Jesus said, no, 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 the answer is a spiritual issue. This is where we so often get off track. Because we buy into the world's lie, we think that political solutions can solve spiritual problems. Our hearts break in North America as we look at our neighbors to the south and the racial strife and the tension and even death that took place yesterday because of hatred in the heart of mankind. And we say, why can't the government do something? Listen, here's why. Because government solutions can never fix spiritual problems. Only Jesus can. Yeah. Folks, that's why we have work to do as the church of Jesus Christ. It's not just enough to come in here and sing pretty songs and drink coffee and enjoy each other's company. The world needs Jesus. And if we don't take it to them, who will? See, number two, Jesus would not meet their wants. They wanted a life that was more comfortable. Why won't you do this stuff for us, Jesus? Why won't you give us more? Number three, Jesus would not miraculously prove himself. They wanted more miracles, more shock and awe. Now, let me ask, do any of these three sound familiar to this day? Is it possible that some people today walk away from Jesus for the same reasons? Number one, we want God to fix our political systems. 
I can't tell you over the years how many people I have had who come and want the church to be involved in their political cause, and they get frustrated. But we have to remember, Jesus was more concerned about spiritual issues. Number two, how often do we expect God to give us what we want? God, why won't you make my life easier? God, why won't you give me that promotion at work? Jesus, why won't you give me that boyfriend or that girlfriend that I've been craving? God, why won't you give me what I'm asking for? Number three, God, why won't you prove yourself? I prayed for a miracle and it didn't happen. God did not heal my friend. God did not answer my prayer. Now, don't misunderstand. The Bible says that we can pray for all of these things, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. So often we want stuff from Jesus more than we want Jesus himself. We want stuff from Jesus more than we want Jesus himself. And on that day here in John chapter 6, 2,000 years ago, they wanted a change in the system, but Jesus was about a change in their hearts. They wanted bread to fill their stomachs, but Jesus was about bread from heaven. They wanted proof, but Jesus was about faith. And what if, what if sometimes Jesus does not give us what we want because he instead wants wants to give us what we need. And what they needed was not more stuff. What they needed was more Jesus. Amen? See, what we need is not more stuff. What we need is more Jesus. And so, whenever you wonder, why are my prayers not being answered? I wonder if we might ask this question. What if maybe God is not giving me what I'm asking for on the timeline in which I am asking for it. Is it possible that it's maybe because he wants to give me something even better? And, and isn't that the difference between being nice and being compassionate? See, the world says that it wants compassion, but what it really wants is niceness. Because nice says, you want bread? I'll give you bread. Isn't that nice? You want, to you want me to tell you that everything's going to be all right and that you're good just the way you are? And that is nice to tell people what they want to hear. But Jesus said, I love you too much to tell you what you want to hear. Instead, I have compassion. Jesus says he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus said, look, I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what you need, spiritual transformation, a change in your life that begins with a change in your heart that will evidence itself with a change in your behavior. And that is a message that still offends people to this day. Now there's something going on here that we need to understand. Why is this issue of the bread of life such a big deal to Jesus? We see all this conflict and this argument going on between Jesus and the people over this concept of bread. Why does Jesus care so much about this one issue that he is willing to lose all of his followers over it? Well, here in John chapter 6, Jesus explains why this is so important in verse 48. So let's read a chunk of scripture here beginning in verse 48. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. 
Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And of course, he's referring to the cross. Well, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And the, the temperature keeps rising in this argument. Verse 53 Verse 53, Jesus continues, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. Everybody say life. life. You have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in in him, and just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. And then that verse that we read, verse 60, but on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? And obviously this is a rhetorical question. Obviously it did offend them because Jesus was saying something they did not want to hear. And I think the main thing that upset them here was what Jesus said in verse 53. Look back at verse 53. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, which again, we know that this is not cannibalism, and later on you find out they know that. They know what Jesus is talking about. That Jesus says, you have no what? No life in you. That's what offended them the most because that is the core of the biblical message. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, that is the message, the core message of the Bible. And the core message of Jesus is this, that apart from God, there is no life in us. Remember, all the way back in the beginning, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned and death entered the world. Death entered the world, and from that point on, everything has been messed up. You look around at the world, messes and confusion and perversion and hatred. That's what we see in the world today. And where does it come from? The sin of our hearts. It's our messed up human nature. Now, that is the exact opposite of what the world says. The world says, hey, you're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay. The world says that you are fine just the way you are. Don't tell anybody that they should let you change. Accept yourself, love yourself. You are perfect just the way you are. Lady Gaga sings, baby, I was born this way. <laughs> Do whatever you feel like doing. But Jesus says, no, Following your feelings and trusting your desires and urges is in fact a path that leads away from God. 
Jesus says, you are not as good as you think you are. You're a sinner in need of a savior. And that offended them 2,000 years ago, just like it offends people today. But then Jesus says, there is good news, and the good news is this. Jesus says, there is a solution, and the solution is this. I am the bread of life. The only way to forgiveness and new life. And people didn't like that. Look at verse 66. From this time, uh, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They walked away. See, so often we like the idea of a compassionate healer. And Jesus is certainly that. No one can heal and do miracles like Jesus. And they liked the idea of a good teacher. And Jesus was certainly that. No one can teach better than Jesus. And they liked the idea of someone who can make their lives better. And Jesus can certainly do that. No one can make your life better than Jesus. But the, heart, the part that was hard for them to accept was this part that says that apart from him, you have no life at all. That apart from him, you are dead inside. Sinners in need of a savior. Now, if Jesus just wanted to improve our lives, we'd be fine with that. Everybody loves the self-help Jesus but not everybody loves the self-transformation Jesus. I'm sorry, Jesus, you want me to change what? You want me to do what with my money? <laughs> That's crazy. Jesus, you want me to do what with my time? You want me to do what with my identity? You want me to do what with my sex life? Jesus, you are asking too much. And so many people chose to walk away from Jesus on that day 2,000 years ago. But this story does have a beautiful ending. That after the crowds leave, what happens next is beautiful. Look at verse 67. Now there's just this little group that's standing around Jesus. And they're the only ones left after everyone else has gone. And in verse 67, Jesus turns to this inner circle and he asks them this question. You do not want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter gives this answer. Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus, that is the, listen, that is the question, the Jesus question that every single person has to answer. Where else can you go? To whom else can you go to receive eternal life? See, there are many things in this world that you may want, but I'm here to tell you there's only one thing that you need. His name is Jesus. And I just want to ask, would you close your eyes for just a minute, just so that you can be really honest and look deep inside of yourself and ask this question, why do you want Jesus today? Do you want Jesus just to make your life better? To make things more comfortable? To make you feel good? Or do you need Jesus because you realize that apart from him, you have no life?
Today, will you walk away like the rest of the crowd? Or will you stay and press in and surrender to Jesus and be transformed? And so right now in your heart, if you would like to be like Simon Peter in this story and surrender your life to him, to be changed, to be transformed, just right now in your heart, would you pray something like this? Say, Father, I've been living for myself. I've been living by the values of the world thinking that somehow what the world has to offer would make me happy. But I realize today, I confess today that it was a lie. That you were the only source of real and eternal life. And so I confess my sin. I receive your forgiveness. And I invite you to come in. I I will literally make you my daily bread. From the moment that I get up in the morning to the second that my eyes close in sleep on my pillow at night. Every waking hour. Lord, I will surrender to you because I know you love me. And it's in Jesus' name that we receive this. Amen. And so if you prayed that prayer today, in many ways, this is your birthday. Now and for eternal life. We're going to invite the ushers to come forward as we prepare for communion. And if this is your day where you confessed and gave your life to Jesus, you're invited to participate. This can be your very first communion as a child of God. And so as the ushers prepare to come forward, understand that here we practice what's called open communion. It means that you don't have to be a member of the church, even though we hope you will become one. But that as long as you're a believer, as long as you're surrendering your life to Christ, you are welcome to participate. And if you're not ready yet, if you're still in the exploration stages and you have not yet made a decision for Christ, that's okay. Just let it pass on by you and nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to look at you funny. We are just glad that you're here. As we pray a prayer of blessing for these elements, we ask that you would hold on to them. Hold on to them. And don't eat, if you will, until we can all do that together in just a few minutes. And so we pray your blessing upon these elements. The bread and the cup, minister your grace to us through them. In Jesus' name, amen.